we're going to take a look at biblical manhood. Okay? What is biblical manhood? And some, there's a lot of females in here, so y'all are probably like, well, why am I here? Right? Like, what a waste of a Wednesday. No, but it's very important. Okay? Because the thing is, is how many of, of the women in this room are or plan to be married at one point? Wait a minute. What am I putting my hand up for? <laughs> okay, let me see that count again. <laughs> okay, so pretty much everybody, right? Well, here's the thing. God has a very specific plan for us, right? A plan uh, to prosper us, to give us hope, to give us fullness of life. And, um, you know, when he created man, he created man in his image. He created man as a, as a leader, as the one who has the... the um, overriding responsibility in the relationship not with greater value but with a with a greater sense of responsibility okay and because of that when you women step into a relationship with a man you want to know what kind of man that you're going to be committing to right uh, the bible talks a lot about about women respecting the husband a lot about women uh, surrender or submitting to that husband and so it's probably a better idea to get into a good relationship and start off submitting to a man who honors God rather than starting off in a bad relationship Amen. and working and struggling and fighting your way through that, right? But even, even if that was the case or even if, like, for myself, you know, I'm married and we've been married for a couple of years, and there, it's important for me even to understand what, what does the Bible say about, about wives, and what is their role in that relationship? What should a biblical woman look like? And we'll look at that probably next week. Because that way I know how to better support and encourage my wife. That way when, when struggles come into the marriage, because guess what? I know, like, I know how I mess up, right? And I know pretty well what, what the man should be doing in a marriage. But when I get to see what the woman, what the wife's role is, then on either side of the party, when one of us starts falling in that area before Satan gets that foothold to come in and destroy that relationship we can address that and we can bring that to the Lord and we can strengthen each other right the Bible says that when two become one uh, two get married they become one flesh one flesh right so if nothing else you at least you gotta look out for yourself right anyways so biblical manhood right just a little intro into before we get started. I looked up uh, the official definition of manhood. Just, it's good to know sometimes, right? And it said that manhood is the state of being a man rather than a child. That's, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's just, that's pretty simple, right? It's, you be, you're a man, you're not a child, okay? Pretty simple definition. But the fact that it says it's the state of being a man rather than a child means that there, there was a process that had to take place, Right? There were some changes that had to, to, to be made for this child to come into being a man. And notice it didn't say someone over the age of 18. It didn't say someone who has a full-time job and a car. Right? And even in the Bible, when it talks about, you know, men, it doesn't, it's not always talking about age. Okay, there are some, some qualities that define that. This means that there has to be a transition where childish things pass away, and we as men take on a new role, a new lifestyle, and a new character, right? When we consider manhood, 
or rather or not someone is acting like a man, okay? Because I know a lot of men who don't, but that's okay. We consider what? Their attributes, right? We consider their personal characteristics. We consider their actions, the way they, they react to certain situations, you know, the maturity of those, of those actions or reactions. Yes, sir? Oh. Did we mention there was a quiz? I'm sorry. See, I told, see, this is Vincent's fault. You know, if he was a biblical man, this wouldn't have happened. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> low blow, right? No. <laughs> I apologize. Um, for those of you who wish to participate, what did I do with those? Did I lose them already? That's not good. For those of you who wish to participate, we have two gift cards here. One for Starbucks. Oh, my gosh. Woo! And one for Chili's. Right? And these were donated to the church, so Lord bless that person. And over the next couple of weeks, two, two, this week and then two more weeks, right? Yeah, so through the last Wednesday of the month, we're going to be, you know, continuing in our series. And after the last Wednesday of the month, we're going to have a quiz, okay? And it's going to be covering the stuff that we're talking about here. And uh, whoever does the best, and if there's a tie, we'll do a tiebreaker, will win a gift card. There will be one for the women and one for the men, okay? And Jacob will be presenting the questions for us. So the reason we're doing this, right, is to um, help some of y'all stay awake, you know, maybe give you a, just a small incentive to to really try and grasp what we're talking about here. Not letting things go in one ear and out the other, right? And so if you want to participate that, it's pretty pretty easy. You know, read, study with us, um, meditate on it over the week, and rock out on that test and get yourself some free Starbucks or some free chilies, whatever you want to do. All right. So back to our sermon. Uh, when we consider manhood, right, we consider their characteristics and their actions. So let me ask this question, okay? How does the world define manhood? Yes. A, ca- a Cadillac? Oh, so you're good then, huh? No. Age, okay. Maturity? Okay, what are some characteristics that to be a man? Responsibility? A big bushy beard? Okay, I think. Well? Okay. Strength? Okay. That's right. Yes. I'm sorry? Respect. Okay, so respect, strength. What about uh, a lot of a lot of men think uh, they have to have those, some sort of status, right? Respect is one thing, but there's a lot of men who take that to their whole identity is based on a certain type of respect they can get from their peers, right? Some people... Some men, you know, there's a lot of different things. Well, let's ask this. When we think about men off in the world as a, uh, uh, what's the word? When you, uh, stereotype. Let's go with stereotypes. I think of prideful. I think of arrogant. You know, I think of things like that. Men. Yeah. The man, man, yes, yes. Men, menly attributes in the world. When I think of the guys who really, in their eyes, think they got it together, I think of a lot of pride. I think of a lot of area. I think of a lot of different things, right? Ego. Okay. So, 
Control. That's right. Dominance. Okay. So that's a good one. You know, a lot of men are, there's, a, there's this characterization of dominance, okay, which in, in a way wouldn't be bad, but it's abused, okay? So I just wanted to get y'all's mind kind of started and working around that, okay? And uh, in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, we were reading on this uh, last week, it tells us, however, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So as we think about these things that characterize the men in the world, right, or, or uh, what a lot of big shot men would characterize themselves at, those things that are negative, we have to realize for those who have been born again in the spirit of Christ. All those things, all that ego, all that need for dominance, all that, you know, um, sexual identification, all those, all those things need to die away. In fact, all those things were crucified, Amen. right? And the Bible says that we have been created in a new man according to God and his righteousness and his holiness. And we talked about last week that holiness is being separated, right? Separated from those things of the world. So for biblical manhood, there needs to be this process in which we leave the childish things of our old ways and of the world behind. And as it says, be transformed in the, or be renewed in the spirit of your mind to take hold of those things which God has given us. Does that make sense? All right. So the question then is, what is biblical manhood? What are the characteristics that we should aim for, that we should, as men, want to see in our lives in order to be strong, biblical men? Join me in Ephesians 5, chapter 1. Or, pff, verse 1, I apologize. And he starts off, and really he gives us a, a pretty easy answer. He starts off by saying, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as dear children. You see, in Genesis 1.26, we know that, uh, or it's, if maybe you don't know, that God uh, was speaking and he said, Let us make men in our image, in our likeness. And so in the image of God, we were created, okay? And the fact that he had that desire to create us in his image, that means that in our existence, we're supposed to be a, some sort of reflection, right, of who God really is in the heavens, his characteristics, his attributes. They should, they should be manifest in our life. You know, and when uh, God put Adam in the garden, he put him in a role of leadership. He gave him dominion over all the earth, and he gave him, gave him Eve as a, as a suitable helper. And so we see God's desire for man is to be an accurate description of his character and to rightly, to rightly exert authority over the creation around him. Okay? So to really understand what biblical manhood looks like, to understand God's design for men, it's pretty simple. 
We just need to look at God's ways. What are God's characters? You know, the series is on relationships. How does God relate to people? How does God relate to you in your heart? How does God relate to those who hate him? How does God relate to those who love him? And the best way is to simply focus our eyes on Jesus, right? Because in Colossians 1.15, it says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God, right? So we can, we can put his eye, our eyes on him. In everything we see Jesus doing, we can have a perfect, undefiled depiction of the Father on every single point without fail. And you see, that was Paul's advice as well, right? So verse 2, or I'll start again in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling uh, aroma. So when we want to talk about what does it look like to be a real man, what do real men do, right? Real men love unconditionally. Let me ask you something. What was the condition for your life that put Jesus on the cross? What condition did you have to fulfill for him to go and take uh, all the payment of your sin on himself? Nothing. Just one second, please. Nothing. The Bible says why we were still sinners, he died for us. Yes, what was your question? No. All right. The question was, is Jesus the only one who can unconditionally love? The answer is no. So, real men love unconditionally. Just as Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, just as Jesus gave himself and he came and, and loved those who hated him, men should walk in a similar manner. Because a lot of men you, you see out in the world and, oh, you know, he can't say that to me, you know? He ain't taking my turkey sandwich, right, or powdered donuts, or I like honey buns. You ain't messing with my honey bun. I got stabbed over a dinner roll at lunch one time in, like, the eighth grade. Plastic forks hurt, I'm telling you. Anyways, right? But you see, nobody's going to get over on me. And why do, why, do men, why do men act like that, right? Because they think they have to be strong, to be dominant, to be prideful. But let me ask you something. What's stronger? A man who, who feels the need to defend himself, who has to, has, to, has to react to something to show his strength, or a man who's so strong that you, you can hit him and he doesn't care. Doesn't even affect his day. You know, my dad's a big dude. Okay? He's 6'2". He's, a, he's an ex-bandito enforcer. All right? I've seen him hit some dudes pretty hard. And he came, he came home one day talking about how he got in a fight with someone who I think they got in a wreck or something. This was a long time ago. And this big dude gets out of the car. My dad comes up and just clocks this guy. And the guy just didn't even move. Just said, you just hit me. <laughs> and then proceeded to call the cops. Didn't even. And my dad was like kind of scared. Because <laughs> he just hit this dude and the dude didn't even move. And my dad's a big guy. Right? If I hit somebody as hard as I could in the chin and they didn't move, 
I would rethink what I was doing, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so that's kind of off subject a little bit, but you catch my drift, right? I think I know what you're saying. It's like, it's like integrity. It's like a man has to act this way to let everybody else around him know mm -hmm. what he wants them to view him as, right? So exactly. Fear. But integrity is like what he does when no one else is watching. That's right. And it's like, if that, I'm not going to let that bother me. That's know? right. Even if everybody else is watching, it's like, oh, he, he just backed down. Exactly, because when, when, when men walk in that type of pride and that, and that strength, it's really what it is, is it sh it's really an insecurity, right? You're showing that really I have a weakness I'm trying to cover up from, right? So real men need to learn, though, not only how to, how to not be offended, okay, but how to just love without expecting anything to in return, without caring who the person is, how rich he is, how poor, nothing, just to show them love, right? And men need to love in two ways. We see Jesus, it says that he gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So we see God, or Jesus came and he provided, right? In his love, Jesus provided for us the thing we need more than anything, which was salvation and deliverance from an eternal lake of fire. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So Jesus provided, and the same men, real men, out of their love, need to provide for others. Right? Just like it says in verse 429, when he talks about our speech should be only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Anything that we can do as men to impart grace to others, we should be eager to do that. It doesn't matter who they are. If someone is hungry, a real man should provide the food. If someone is hurting, a real man should provide the comfort. If someone needs your time, a real man should be eager to do that, to show them the type of love that God has for them, which is an unconditional love, a love that provides. And if we're talking about doing that for the world, how much more for your parents? How much more for your siblings? How much more for your spouse? or your future spouse, right? What are ways men can provide for others? Just think about that. Just consider that for a second. And let that fall under your list, right? You see, love, I've been talking a lot about love lately. In fact, anytime we're reading from the Bible, we're probably going to talk a lot about love. That's the way it is. But love is doing for good, or doing good for others solely based on their benefit, not on yours. What did Jesus benefit from becoming a man, being shamed, beaten, tortured, and murdered? He did that for us. He did that for us. It was for our benefit. Yeah, there was glory on the other side, but guess what? He was already in glory before he became a man, <laughs> right? He is the everlasting. But here's the next thing. In love, real men... Real men offer themselves sacrificially. Sacrificially. When, when, when we use the word sacrifice, what do people think of? Burn offerings, right? Something getting killed and cut and stabbed. and That doesn't sound very pleasant, <laughs> right? Guess what? To sacrifice, that, that, that means there's usually a loss somewhere, right? 
Exactly. So to, to give up. It is going to be a loss in some Exactly. Real men need to be willing to sacrifice to give up for the sake of others. Right? And as we go on in relationships and we get to the marriage, we'll look at some, some different ways that that can come up as well because that's extremely important. But I'll just leave that for your own mind to consider. Okay? Because here's the thing, guys. If you're tough, good-looking, rich, but you're not willing to sacrifice for others, I, I'm sorry to burst your bubbles, but you're still a child. Right? You're still a child. You know why I say that? Because children are, shel- are selfish. I can't talk, right? Children are shellfish, no. <laughs> children are selfish, right? Aren't they? Anybody here, anybody here have kids or nephews or something, right? I got three boys. They all selfish, all right? That's just the way it is, okay? Children are selfish. And it's funny because you'll see, uh, I got a four-year-old. He's about to be five, right? And he'll say, Carter, you need to share, right? He wants that toy. You need to share. You need to share. You need to share. Oh, but when it's his gun in his hand, uh-uh-uh. I ain't sharing with nobody, <laughs> right? Children, children are big advocates of, of giving. Children are big advocates of love, right, of peace, of, of sharing everything you have until it's the thing in their hand that needs to be sacrificed. And as men, a lot of times we walk in that. We think we have ownership, right? Ownership of our, of our time, of our finances, of our guns. Did I say guns? Oh, I'm sorry, I apologize, men. Uh, you know, failing to realize that everything, everything we have stems only from the goodness of God. Everything stems from the goodness of God. Even our relationships, my children, my wife, those are all just stewardships that God gave me. And in Ephesians 5, we're going to look at this um, in another week, but I'll go ahead and give you a little teaser. In Ephesians 5, it tells us very plainly that we as husbands are going to have to present our wives before the Lord. And he encourages to present them blameless by washing them with the water of the world, with the word, golly, right? That, that implies responsibility on a whole new level of significance, okay? Even your relationships are stewardships given by God. And he will, he will expect an account from you. All right. Let me ask you something, men. How many times do we have the opportunity to sacrifice for others and we just simply refuse to? When we have time to sacrifice our time, our money, our resources, our comfort, our pride for others, and we refuse to. Jesus sacrificed everything to love us, and it was only for our good. And in doing so, Jesus became both our example on how to walk out life as men, but he also became our leader for true manhood, right? And that brings me to my next point. Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. 
he goes on to say, but fornication, which is sleeping with anybody outside of marriage, right? Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Right? So the next point is real men lead by example. The Bible says don't love in, in, in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Real men lead by example, and they lead by setting the standard for their conduct and for their speech. Here it says two things, right? First of all, fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness, covetousness, greed, those things in a church. And I'm not talking about the walls. I'm talking about you people in the church, in the people who are claimed by the living God, it shouldn't even be named among you. In our conduct, we should be setting the standard. We should be setting the standard. It also says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor uh, coarse jesting, basically um, bad humor, right? Coarse joking. Okay, And it says, because those things are not fitting. But again, as we were talking about last week, he tells us, that foolish talk coming out your mouth, boy. That's how I hear it sometimes. I don't know about y'all. but Boy, boy? yeah. Uh, that foolish talk, we don't just need to do away with it. We need to replace it with things that praise God. Right? Things that praise God. It says, but rather giving of thanks. We need to learn to forsake the old man, right? Because that old man, the flesh, it's led by simple things, selfish desires. And we need to start replacing those with the practices of the Spirit, right? And that's what it means when the Bible talks over and over about practicing righteousness, practicing righteousness, understanding what God's will is for us, and doing it. And when we catch ourselves failing, repent. Take it before the Lord and change. Right? There's no repentance without change. Don't let anybody lie to you. There's no repentance without a change in action and a change in heart. You know, I've been dealing with this for a long time. Um, Vincent and I and, and my buddy Stephen have talked many times about the way we joke and about the way we speak and, and the conversations that men have when they get together, because all it takes is a little bit of joking or one person make a comment and all of a sudden everybody in the group is just way off in left field talking about something crazy, right? We spent like three hours talking about knocking people out the other day. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not even lying. All right. That, okay, yeah, blame it on the pastor, right? That's all right. But practicing righteousness, right? I'll tell you what, we've gotten a whole lot better since we started doing those things. And the more we put our eyes on Christ, the more our lives have been transformed, the more we've been allowed to transform others, right? And my heart doesn't condemn me when I stand before God and I hear his word. Praise God to that. The Bible says if your heart condemns you before God, God is greater than your heart. And he knows all things, right? Men, real men lead by example, both in conduct and in speech. And Christian men should be leading others to Jesus 
as living examples of truth and of righteousness. Okay? Verses 5 through 6. For this you know, and if you didn't know, you're about to find out. All right? For this you know that no fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Woo. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, idolatry, right? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So here's my next point. Real men know their loyalties. That's one thing you hear. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, right? When it comes to men, loyalty. It's a thing respected more than anything. Someone being loyal to you, right? And he goes on and he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Well, here's the thing, guys. The only way to be deceived by empty words is if we're not being loyal. If we're not being loyal and understanding to the words full of life and truth, the words of God before us, right? See, real men need to have a loyalty to God's word. What does that look like exactly? A loyalty to God's word. They should have a devotion to reading it, not just reading it, but understanding it, not just understanding, but living it, not just living it, but teaching others to do the same. Because in these words are life, right? The greatest thing about being a Christian is I don't have to argue with anybody about what they believe, facts say, or history doesn't say, or anything, right? Because every single time I have trusted God's word and walked according to his ways, he has shown up perfectly, without fail. And the more I have walked and trusted him, the more amazing my life has become. And the more crazy stuff happens, (laughs) you know? The more crazy stuff happens. I've seen God heal people. I've had God yell at me, like, loud. I've had him speak to me in a whisper, right? And I know it's him because usually it's about other people. And I say, hey, God just told me this, and they freak out because they have no idea how I knew what I just told them. It's that simple, right? We got we to gotta live in God, and he expects loyalty, okay? Not only for ourselves, but also for others, Right? as that we walk out this Christian walk that this world is full. This world is full of people who are, this is not a phrase, right? This is not church talk. People are going to hell, okay? And there's nothing funny about that. There's nothing metaphorical about that. Hell is a place of torment. It's a place where Jesus says the worm never dies. You're always consumed and never eaten. And the fire is never quenched. You're always burnt and never burnt up. He says it lasts for an eternity. There will be no rest because our offense against the holy God was an offense against an eternal God. And so the punishment will be an eternal punishment. And God doesn't send anybody to hell. He simply allows the people who said, I want nothing to do with your son Jesus to go where he said they would go. It's that simple. Salvation is a free gift. As men loyal to God's word, we need to be loyal to leading other people to that reality, to sharing a hope, a hope found in his word, 
A hope that's real, a hope that's powerful, right? Showing ourselves to be children of God and not, as it says here, as sons of disobedience. Because the sons of disobedience, what happens? The wrath of God will come upon them. Verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Do not be mixed up and partaking with the sons of disobedience. People who are walking knowingly and rebelliously against the living God, right? And here's the thing. We're talking about real men know their loyalties, right? Loyal men don't mix loyalties, right? Now, that's such a simple statement. It's almost stupid because then I say, because if they did, they wouldn't be loyal. That's simple, right? I don't, need, I don't need to teach anybody what that means. Real men don't mix loyalties, okay? You know, I can't, I can't have a, a pure marriage if I'm mingling with adultery. That doesn't even make sense, right? I can't say, oh, I'm sober. You know, I just hit the pipe every now and then. Wait, so, wait, what? <laughs> you know? No, I'm sober. I only drink, you know, until noon. Okay, well, all right, whatever, right? I can't say I'm holy, but living in sin. Real men don't mix loyalties. Having a loyalty, though, also means exposing those things that are coming against your loyalty. You know, Vincent, let's say Vincent was, well, he is my homeboy, right? And let's say I considered, let's say I considered, let's say, right? Let's say I considered Vincent loyal. No, just kidding. And yet he knows that somebody I'm hanging out with who's talking nicely to me, who's helping me out, they're just planning on robbing me blind. That's the only reason they're, they're, they're trying to be my friend, right? And he doesn't say anything. It's none of his business. <laughs> Can I call him a loyal friend? Absolutely not. Me and Will would jump him, steal his Cadillac. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I guess, uh, yeah. What was I saying about, about course choking? And anyways, um, that wasn't too bad, though, right? That wasn't too, that was pretty clean, right? That was pretty clean. All right. Having a loyalty, though, seriously, right? It means exposing those things that are coming against it, okay? So we're just going to read all the way through verses 7 through 14. We're not going to expound on every verse. But again, it says, therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather Expose them. Expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ, Christ will give you light. So how does the Bible qualify the men from the boys? Or what's that phrase? The men from the mice? Is that what that little thing is, right? 
Let me summarize this for you. Real men imitate Christ. Any situation of your life, you can look back at the gospel and understand how to handle it by the way Christ handled it. Real men love others by providing for their needs and sacrificing for their benefit. Real men lead in holiness, but they lead by example, not just words. Real men are loyal to God's word and to his people. Real men warn and expose of anything that is not truth. A lot of people think they're men, but are stuck in childish ways, right? Men, it's time to repent. You know, I was talking to a young lady this weekend who God spoke to me and said, she's living immorally with her boyfriend. I said, okay, Lord. So I pulled her to the side. And I said, hey, you know, sometimes God speaks to me, and sometimes it's really clear, and sometimes I not. it's not. So I'm just going to ask you, and I'm trying to be nice because she's a young girl. And I said, are there some things you need to repent of? She said, yes. And we'd already talked about, are you going to be honest with me? We already went through that, okay. <laughs> and she said she'd be honest with me. I said, are there some things that you need to repent of? She said, yes. And I said, are these things specifically between you and your boyfriend? And come on, if some dude is coming up to you and talking to you about that, you know what that means, right? All right. And she said yes. And so I began to talk to her about repentance and the mercy of God. And someone who goes to church every week, we had just had communion, said, I don't know. I don't know how to repent. You know, but that's the reality. She could have told me, if you would have asked her an hour before, hey, what is repentance? She would have told you. Turning away from sin, you know, obeying God. Everybody knows the answers. But when it came down to living that out, she did not know how to repent. And so we came up with a game plan. And she committed to herself before God to that game plan. And in tears, she repented before the Lord. And it was amazing. And I was crying because I'm a baby. It's all good. That's, repentance is simply this reconciliation before God. It's got a bad rap, right? It's a harsh word. It's God allowing you with no basis on your own behalf to be reconciled to him in all forgiveness and grace and mercy. And it's available to every single person who bows their knee before, before Jesus and says, I believe you are the son of God and I accept your salvation. Save me and be the Lord of my life. It's that simple. And you give his heart, your heart to him and he will make you a new man or woman, whatever. But man, some of us in this room need to repent of childish ways. That doesn't just mean saying I'm sorry. That means saying, Lord, I know what I'm doing is wrong. Lord, I want to turn from it, and I need to know how. And as you consider those ways, you need to make that decision now. It's the same thing I tell a lot of youth, right? You want to stay holy to marriage? Good. Can make the decision now how you're going to walk away from sin. Because if you wait till the moment, to make that decision, you will not make the right one. Repentance is making the decision now who you're going to serve and how. And some of us need to repent from childish ways, maybe, that we may walk as biblical men, unashamed before God. But for some of those who are more mature, 
some of us still might need to repent and pick up our cross that we might become, that we all men, all of us, wherever you are in your walk, right, might become leaders, might become providers and defenders in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.